Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. So I want to talk to you today. I want to, I'm actually going to be working through the book of Timothy. Um, I, was, I was going through Titus before we left, and now we're working through Timothy. And we're just going to read through it. And today we're not going to get that far. We're going to go through the first nine verses. Um, but Timothy, I just want to encourage you, as we read this line by line, like, read it in light of you need this to know God. You need his word to understand who he is. And you need his word to steward the revival of God that's going to be in our city. Like, when you read the scriptures, understand it's not, it's not just to get a bunch of knowledge. It's to know his heart. It's also to steward what he wants to do. I feel such a fear of the Lord to know the word of God. Because then I'll know who he is. And when, I, when you get the stage or the platform or the influence, you'll be able to share something that has substance. That really holds weight. And that is truly transformative. So just to give a little feedback for Timothy, it's one of the pastoral letters, along with 2 Timothy and Titus. We're going to cover 1 Timothy today. It was written by Paul to Timothy, who is his spiritual son. And so the same, in the same sense with Titus, who's also Paul's spiritual son, Timothy is Paul's spiritual son. Now, Timothy has been tasked with the church of Ephesus which is a momentous task because this is the most influential church in the world at that time. And so if you read through about the Church of Ephesus, I'll give you a few notes about it. If you can put up a slide here, Rosie. Um, it's the largest, Ephesus is the largest city in Asia Minor. Um, it's the seat of the Roman Empire in Asia. It's an important city for trade and wealth. You could really compare it some to New York. Uh, this, this was the city that Paul was gonna use to actually evangelize the rest of Asia. At that time, Asia Minor is, just, is Turkey. Um, but this was the central city. And Paul had established it in 53 AD. He'd been there multiple years. He'd remained there and sowed into this church because it was so important. Now, it was also, along with being important, it was the center for idol worship. So you had the temple to the Greek god Artemis there, which was one of the seven wonders of the world. So you had a lot of people streaming in. You had people coming for trade, people coming as tourists, um, people of influence that were in this city. And we know from Acts 19 and Acts 20, there was a mighty move of God that burned through that city. And if you read through there, you see even those who were caught up in witchcraft, they were magicians, they were so gripped by the message of Jesus, they burned their magic books. They literally brought them all and they started a big bonfire. How'd you like to have a big bonfire out here on the street in New York? And everybody in these apartment buildings come and they burn all their new age stuff. They burn all the magic books, and maybe they burn some bad music too. Why not? Let's just throw in some heavy metal. I want a bonfire right out here in front of the, in our church because that's what a move of God feels like. It feels like people turning from darkness into the light and burning the things of the past because all they want is Jesus. So that's what happened in, the, in, in this church. And so Timothy, just to give you a little backstory to him, he's from Lystra, and you read about him in Acts 16. Check out Acts 16. That is where Paul encounters him. He's a spiritual son, so Paul probably led him to the Lord, and he led his grandmother and his mother to the Lord. Now, Timothy, he was he had a Jewish mom and a Greek dad, so he was he was mixed from that standpoint. We have some Greeks here in the house today, and Jews, so come on. You all know what I'm talking about. So he, he was mixed, but he had this calling on his life from a very young age, 
and he carried the faith of his grandmother and his mother. And so he was a really important figure. He was also quite young. So although roughly around this time, he was probably 30 years old. And so it's not that young. I'm 37. But so Paul is encouraging and admonishing him because he's been given a very challenging task of not doing what Titus did. Titus is setting up and establishing churches and elders in Crete. But what he's doing, he's actually reforming a church that's gone astray. You want to talk about something hard? Try to reform one of the biggest, most important churches in the world that's gone into false doctrine. That is what Timothy is being tasked with in Ephesus. So that's the context of this book. Now, if you look at the ministry journey of Paul, you get a little more of a picture of it. So Paul, Titus, and Timothy, these guys are all rolling together. They were in Crete. It seems like all three of them were. They leave Titus in Crete. Paul is going to Macedonia where God's called him to preach. He's already been in prison, by the way. He's gotten out, and now he's making his rounds. On the way there, he stops in Ephesus, and he realizes that there's false doctrine being taught. He puts Timothy there, and Timothy is holding down the fort in Ephesus. All right, so there is a, check this out, there is a prophetic word that Paul gives about Ephesus. And he gives it before this, I need to do my, I think it's so they can hear me online. In Acts chapter 20, verse 29 through 32, and I will just summarize it for you. The prophetic word basically states, hey, there's going to be false shepherds that are going to come in and they're going to lead the flock astray. There are going to be those that, that are from the inside of the church that are going to disguise certain doctrines, but they're going to be heretical, and they're going to spread it all throughout the church. He tells them this in advance. He tells them to be leery of this. How important is the prophetic? My gosh. Like, what a great tool for them to have. Now when things are getting hairy, when things are getting complicated, they're like, no, God knew this was coming. I'm not going to get frustrated. I'm going to stay the course, because he already knew these people were going to come with their false doctrines. So if you look at we're going to just jump right into the structure of Timothy. Let's get into it. So uh, Timothy is broken up into a few, I have a slide for it, a few parts. There's an opening commission, which we'll get to today. That's all we're going to get to. There's middle chapters, two through six, that provide direction for the church. And then there's a closing commission. Now, within each section of, these, um, of this book, there's these little poems, and all of them declare Jesus as king. So that is a central theme that's woven in by the author, um, by Paul himself, into these various components of the letter. Now, why is he writing this letter? He's writing it, as I alluded to, because there's false doctrine in the church. And so that is the driver. Think of that as we read this letter together. That is what's motivating him in order to write this. So you have a church that was, that was really like the centerpiece, the, the most important church in the region, Moving in the gifts and the wonders. Paul literally would give his clothes to people so that they could get healed. They would distribute his clothes and healing would come on people. That was all in Ephesus. But now you have an apostolic leader, Paul, speaking to a, the bishop of the area, Timothy. And what is he saying? What, what is the key for a move of God again in that region? It's not the gifts of the spirit, let me tell you. And those are important. The key was sound doctrine. See, we can think sometimes that a key to a move of God is just the move of the Spirit. And let me tell you, that is a pretty darn important key. But if you don't have sound doctrine, if you don't know the God that you're speaking about, if, you don't, if your proclamation and your very foundation of your faith is not based on something that's healthy and good and true and, and true of who God really is, you'll never be able to sustain revival. See, sound doctrine is not for the seminarians. It's not for the theologians and the scholars. Sound doctrine is for the revivalists. 
Don't leave it to the intellectuals. Don't let them be the ones to talk about sound doctrine. If you're called to, be, to, to host the presence of God, as Will was talking about, as Rich was talking about the last two weeks, you better have sound doctrine because you're not going to host his presence if you don't know who he is. Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 1, says this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Coming out of the gates, Christ Jesus is our hope. Christ Jesus is our hope. To Timothy, my true son of the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord, his true son in the faith. See, he got his true son in the faith. He sowed into Timothy. He poured out his life into him, but he also brought him along with him. We want to disciple people in this community. We, we need to sow and bless and, and, and pour our lives into them. But we also need to bring each other along. You need to bring these people that you're discipling in this church. Bring them along with you. Take them along. And don't, not only take them, Paul commissioned Timothy. So he raised him up and then he sent him out. And for some of us, we're learning in this house. We have a core value of being family. You're learning how to be a son and a daughter. And I'm telling you, your moms and dads are going to start commissioning you. We're going we're to start sending you. And we might send you to Asia, but we also might just send you to the neighborhood that you're in. We also might just send you to the financial, you know, institution that God's placed you in. We might send you to the entertainment world. We might, you don't have to be sent far, but spiritual moms and dads send their sons and daughters for the work of ministry. We're getting under our spiritual sons and daughters so that they can do the thing. It's not about the mom and the dad. It's about Christ manifest through the mom and the dad and the sons and the daughters. And then you begin to want to raise up other people because it's not all about you. It's about getting under the things God wants to do. And God wants to move through people. And so we're going to invest in those people and we're going to see them do the works of ministry. Uh, Timothy, we're going to go in verse 3. As I urged you when I was in Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people, here we go, not to teach false doctrines any longer. So you may command them to teach no false doctrines. This is a consistent message that you see all throughout the scriptures. You saw it when we went through Titus. False doctrine is a massive problem in the church, and it continues to be one today. Now, I really believe that there is, what's the word? We've gotten to a point sometimes where we, even this word doctrine, like, like, we want to minimize our doctrine so that we just can agree with everybody. Like, we'll just believe about the most important things, and then, and then we can all have agreement in the church. But I don't think that's wise. Like, I think a better approach is that we understand fully who our God is and what we believe, and we learn how to partner within the church with people that think and believe different things. But even in the midst of that, right, there's going to be a ton of different beliefs, even in this room, about the end times. There's going to be a lot of different beliefs about even the church and, and how the church should operate and function, you know, the, the, the structure of the church. There's going to be different views right here in this room. But there's some hard lines that need to be drawn to know if we can commune together. And those lines are things like the Trinity. There are things like the incarnation, like that Jesus actually came as God in the flesh. Like, these are things that we need to draw hard lines on. And I think it's important that we make those distinctions because we want to dig in to understand our theology and our, our doctrine, but we also want to know what are the, just the core things that if you don't believe these things, you're not even a Christian. Like, like, this is essential just for even saying you follow Jesus. 
And so I think it'd be do us well to separate those two and to say, I want to get strong in, in these truths, but I also want to explore what I believe in these various topics. And that doesn't bring division in the church. These things we can unite on, these things we can grow in, but having a different opinion, we don't, we're not like the world. We don't just cancel. You're just going to walk away because you have a different view of the end times because you have a different view of how the church is supposed to be structured. You're going to walk away? No. That's not how God is raising us up. So we can't, we, what I'm saying is you don't want to shy away from doctrine and think it's going to bring division. In fact, it's going to bring clarity. It's going to deepen. It's going to deepen your walk with the Lord. So Paul is drawing hard lines, and he's telling Timothy, you have to draw some hard lines because there's people that are walking over those lines. There's people that are walking in unsound doctrine, and you need to set things right. Do you know why you believe the things you believe? Like, like, do you know why you are a Protestant and not a Catholic? Maybe some of you are Catholic. But do you know? Like, what's the difference? What, what's the belief difference? Now, I used to always think, oh, the difference is, like, Catholics, they pray to the saints. I don't do that. Like, I'm a Protestant. Catholics, they, you know, they love, they love Mary. They're all about Mary. And, like, I'm not, you know, Mary's great, but, like, I'm not praying to her, and I'm not. But, you know, those actually aren't the defining differences between Protestant and Catholic. Those aren't like those are just kind of the things on the that we see on the front lines. But the real difference is the author. It's an authority difference. So we in the Protestant church, we would say, no, like the scriptures, they're the primary authority where a Catholic would say, well, the scriptures are authority for sure. But you also have the pope and what they says. You also have tradition and what tradition has has told us. And I'm going to hold these all as authoritative. Protestants would say, no, no, no. Those, the Pope is not authoritative, and, and, and the traditions are not authoritative. The scripture is what's authoritative. So these are important distinctions, but sometimes we don't even think about it. And, and we need to know these things, especially if we're going to be stewarding a move of God of the magnitude that we're praying for. We better know what we believe. We better know what other people believe so we can lead and guide them into the truth. Because you and I are accountable for stewarding the word of the Lord, for stewarding the gospel of truth. We've been entrusted with this, not just the pastors, all of us. If you're in Christ, you've been entrusted with this gospel. You know, I, uh, I moved into a new house about a year ago, and I'm having the same problem that I had a year ago this spring. I'm not used to gardening, first of all. Lots of things are growing. And, and secondly, I'm just, this is garden this is very unfamiliar to me that's in, that's in my property. I, I'm not familiar with all the plants in it. And I, so I see all these plants growing up right now. And I'm so, like, I'm racking my brain. I'm like, okay, is that a weed or is that a flower? Is this something to be hold preciously and to, like, you know, give nutrients to and, and, and preserve? Or is this something to rip out that's going to destroy everything in my garden? And so I, I, my eyes are deceptive. I can't figure it out. by what some, There's some very pretty weeds out there. They really look nice. And, but I have an app, so thank Jesus for the iPhone. And I, and I, I paid a little extra for this thing. And it, you, you just scan, you take a picture of the plant. It's amazing. And it tells you what it is. And so I go around and take pictures and like, okay, flower, do not touch. Kids, don't play with that. And then weed, kids, come and, come and attack that weed. Come get rid of it. But literally without this app, I have no clue what is good and what is bad. Like, I don't know the things that are going to produce life and blossom and the things that are going to choke and destroy my garden. My app is the word of God. You need the word or else you're going to let weeds, you're going to let them grow rampant in your heart. 
And how many of you know, if you pull that weed early, I just pulled out a bunch of weeds. They're so tall and big, but they are so weak at the roots. <laughs> there are some lies that the Lord would try to plant in your heart. And boy, they take up a lot of space at first. But if you know because of the word of God, that's not who God is. That's not truth. You can pull that thing out really easily. But if you let that thing sit there, you let its roots go down in, it begins to infiltrate the whole thing. And some of us, we've, we've allowed those doctrines to infiltrate our minds in such a level that when somebody challenges it, boy, it, like, it hurts because it's interwoven into how we see God, how we see the world. And so you're afraid if I pull that out, it's going to destroy my faith. It's going to destroy all the other things that I hold dear. But let me tell you today, we need sound doctrine. And if there's things false in you that God stirs today, you better pull it out, even if it hurts. Because it will hinder you from doing the work that God's called you to do. It will hinder you from being light and salt in the city if you allow mixture in your life. You see, unsound doctrine can be as simple as biblical truths dressed up to try to appease and reach the culture. That could be unsound doctrine. I'm, I'm going to get into this next time I teach because it's where the topic's going. But one common unsound doctrine, love is love. That is not biblical. It's not sound in any shape, way, and form. And the church has just, we just eaten that thing up because love is like surely very important to our witness. Love is, is central. But love is love redefines love. Jesus is love. And when you redefine love and you make it this thing that you can just put anything underneath, like now I have this canopy that is love, and I can just stuff anything I want underneath that thing and say, obey this truth. You, you, you totally redefine what love is, and you allow all sorts of ideas to come underneath this banner of love and infiltrate the church. So that's just one, but I got a lot more examples, but I'm not going there today. All right, I'm going to read this C.S. Lewis quote. It says this. Doctrines are not God. They are a kind of map, but that map is based on the experience of hundreds of people who really were in touch with God. See, doctrine is not just this heady thing. It's actually, it's us understanding how even people in the past interpreted the word and us humbling ourselves and not thinking we can just read this and, and understand it to the best of our capacities. Wouldn't you want to know what the church thought for 2,000 years about the, the text that you're reading? Don't you think that might help you to know God? Or are we so prideful, like, oh, no, no, I want the new thing. God, give me the new thing. I got the new revelation. Let me tell you, your new revelation is not revelation if it's not built off the old revelation. That's for real. Like, and I'm sick and tired of my generation and below thinking that we have the new thing and not actually going to God's word and going to the history of the church and saying, there's value and purpose. I'm going to build off what's already been established. There's been a foundation of Christ laid by the apostles. I'm going to build off that instead of trying to build my own kingdom of revelation and wisdom. That's not wisdom, and it will crumble. I'm telling you, it will crumble because it's not based on the truth. All right, so 1 Timothy, I'm going to go to verse 4, and it says this. He's telling him, commanding him not to preach false doctrines, right? And then he says, or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things will promote controversial speculations, rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. There's a lot of myths and endless genealogies going on at the church. There's a lot of things that are trying to promote controversial speculations, but they distract from advancing the work of the kingdom. 
Boy, at the Philippines, I really saw this real clear. I, I had to pull out, pull out all this. Things just get really um, focused when you're in front of all these people that are hungry for God, and you can't think about all these obscure, like all those obscure sort of um, teachings that you heard about this. I'm like, I'm not thinking about Nephilim or any of these like random like Bible topics when I'm out there trying to just preach the gospel to people. Like I don't have time and space to focus on all these different things. Well, well, who was Adam and what did, what authority do I have now because of Adam's authority? I don't care. I just, these people need Jesus. They need the very core of the gospel. In America, we are so spoiled that we take and we go down all these theological roads to discover all these mysteries that God never asked us to discover. He said, go and disciple the nations. Go and preach your guts out. Go and lay your life down. That's the message people need. I mean, it really humbled me. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. It really humbled me to say, gosh, I... I Put all these bows and things on the gospel. God, just give me back to the basics so I can know your heart and display your love. That's all I want to do. That's all we're supposed to do. We've really missed it. And and I'm I'm talking to myself. So the problem at that time is there were many Jews. They they were speculating about the Torah, and they were coming up with all these strange ideas. Um, They were like Internet teachers and prophets of today. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they were the internet teachers and prophets coming up with these strange ideas about about marriage and sex and 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 they were they were misconstruing the apostles' teaching and the teachings of Jesus. And Paul was saying, "No, get back, get back to the basics, get back to talking about the faith that we have, the, the, get back to talking about the grace that we have in God that we can receive through faith. Stop all these things that are just." They're just, they're creating, it's almost like we're talking on the back streets instead of on the highways of the gospel. Like, like we're, we're focused on all these things that don't actually get people to Jesus. They just make us feel nice and intellectual, and they make us like, they make us like respected in our circles, but they don't actually bear any weight when you're trying to share Jesus and the gospel. God, take us to that place. You know, we... I think when I think of myths and controversial speculations, I honestly, I can't help think with the upcoming elections. I mean, you want to talk about something that's going to stir a lot of speculations that are going to distract from the gospel. Our elections important 100%. Should we be politically informed and involved? 100%. But I can tell you, I, policies may, they may hurt and they may even destroy a nation. But the real thing that I know will destroy a nation is a distracted church. It's a church that's lost their first love. It's a church that has more passion and conviction for political things than for the king of the universe, from God himself. And I'm telling you, don't get caught up in that whirlwind. Be involved and be, and be connected politically. I'm not saying that at all. The church needs to be on the front lines, but don't let that be your hope. If you have a bit and even an ounce of hope in the, po- in the politics of this country... You were deceived. I'm serious. Like, even an ounce. So don't take the bait. I'm going to talk about it before it even comes because the storm is brewing. Don't take the bait. Jesus is your hope. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And if you follow him and let that follow your, your politics, boy, your politics are going to be a lot better. and You're going to be a lot more happy. But if your politics drive your faith and you mix these things you are going to find yourself not happy, and there's going to be bad fruit because you've let weeds into your garden. 
I'm not doing the cycle, like, where we send each other all these, like, rando, like, YouTube videos about all these things, like, we think God might and could do, and all the, like, like, don't do that. Send each other scripture. Let's send each other the word of God and say, hold fast to his word. Preach, even when it's favorable and not favorable. Love your neighbor. Get involved. Serve the poor. Like, be, be connected in the political realm. Do it. But do it through this lens, not through that lens. I need a new lens, and, and I, you probably do too, based on what you're saying to me. <laughs> oh. First, I'm going to go to Timothy, verse 5. 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 5, and says this. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, and a good conscience and a sincere faith. You want to know what sound doctrine is? Sound doctrine produces love. If you're teaching sound doctrine, you will see love manifest in and around you. You'll see love manifest in your heart, and it will be birthed in those that you preach and those that you teach. And that is the whole goal and the purpose of Paul's ministry, that love would abound in this church. Even in the midst of coming against sound doctrine, He's doing it in love. He's doing it because Jesus has, has overwhelmed him with, with his love, and he'll fight, and he'll be fierce against all darkness and wickedness that would try to come and corrupt the very foundation of the church. Galatians 5.14 says this, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. See, even the law itself points to love as the central reason for its existence. Loving God and loving others, that sums up the entire law right there. So even the law can understand that love is central. See, genuine preaching, it doesn't fuel speculation. It doesn't fuel quarreling. It, it connects with God's will and his plan and his heart. You know, in the Philippines, we were, uh, I was having a really hard missionary day. I was actually at the pool on the hotel that we were staying in. And, you know, I was up there doing holy things, seeking the Lord's face, suffering for Jesus. And, um, and, and there was a bar up there, and there was these people talking at the bar. And they started talking about um, having night terrors. And I was like, oh, Lord, this is, this is you. Um, and so all of them were having different night terrors, and they were discussing it. And I was just eavesdropping in. And so I go over, and I'm like, oh, man, the Lord's going to move. This is going to be great. I'm supposed to be here. And, and, I, and I go to share with them. And then one of them, I, I, I share, like, hey, you know, guys, like, I've seen Jesus heal a lot of people from night terrors. In fact, I've had some, and Jesus healed me, and like, let me, I want to tell you all about this. And the guy's like, oh, you're, you're a missionary. I said, yeah. He's like, I bet I know more scripture than you do. I was like, uh-oh, he was an American. I was like, oh, no, we're dealing with Americans now. <laughs> the pride is <laughs> infecting us. But the Lord began to speak to me in that moment. He's like, no, 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 don't, don't be afraid. Like, don't, don't be leery. Just get my love for him, and you'll influence him. I said, okay, I'm not going to win this by giving him my theology. I'm going to win it through love. And so I began to ask the Lord, Lord, give me a heart for them. Give me a heart for this man. And then as I began to share with him and share with some of the people here that were, now there's a whole group of us, um, and we got to pray for, for the bartender who had these generational curses on his life. Honestly, that's what, was, that's what had germinated these, these things. And they all had different things. But we, I got to share God's heart for them and pray for them. And let me tell you, at the end of it, the guy who seemed the most prideful was the most impacted. 
I don't think he was impacted because I gave him some great verse or I, or I prayed some nice prayer. Because he felt the love of God. And the love of God is what I could exude to him. That's what I could give him. And that's the only thing that would get through his mind. But because I had that, not, not of my own, but it was Jesus' love for him that I asked for. I said, Holy Spirit, give it to me. Then I could influence him. We have to know this as we're talking about doctrine. Because you're not going to be able to win people over by nice arguments. But love will win them over. Love demonstrates that what you have to say matters. That you have something they don't have. And so when you operate in love and the intention of your, of your direction, of your instruction is love, you will not only influence, but it will bear great fruit. You will, lay, you will lay a foundation for generations to be able to walk in. That is sound doctrine. And that is what we need in the church today. Timothy chapter 6 or, or verse 6 says this. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know about what they are talking about and what they so confidently affirm. So if you look within the context of this verse, there's a lot of these Jewish influences. They're Jewish believers that are now bringing their influences into the church. And, and there's also pagan um, Greek ones that are coming in as well. Um, but these influences, they're, they're doing two things. Take note of this. They're creating meaningless talk and they're creating quarrels and strife. So that's one way to discern if you've got false doctrine that's being spoken or, that, or even that you're declaring false doctrine. It creates meaningless talk, things that don't end or point to Christ, things that don't lead to the fruits of the Spirit, things that don't produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, or self-control. That is, that's called meaningless talk, and it produces quarrels and strife within the church. So if those things, if you're saying that or you're hearing that around you, you're probably listening to or speaking false doctrine. Those are two key things that help us understand what's true and what's false. You know, I really believe, I really think it's so key that we raise up teachers and prophets, pastors, apostles, evangelists in this church that have sound doctrine. So that when you prophesy, it's not creating meaningless talk. You're actually, your words are going to draw people unto the risen Christ. Your words are going to elevate it's going to be Christ-exalting messages that send people into the arms of Jesus and that make them know they're dependent on his love. Your teaching is going to draw and convict people's hearts of their sin so they can go to their Savior. Your evangelism is going to be an overflow of God's heart for the lost, bringing them into his heart, not just to your ministry. It's so important that we have this sound doctrine so that we can do the works of ministry. And I believe in this church we're going to raise up a five-fold ministry that walks in sound doctrine and thus operates in love and thus produces great fruit. Not meaningless strife and not quarrels and strife. Quarrels, meaningless talk or quarrels and strife. You know, I've been studying uh, Jonathan Edwards a bit. Fascinating guy. Great awakening. Um, he was one of the main men of God in the first great awakening in this nation. And he had this propensity to like love the presence and the power of God, but to also be able to discern what was false within it. And he was brilliant at this. He loved the work of the Holy Spirit in such a way that he wanted with precision to know what was God and what was not. And I'm telling you, we need to get that same sensitivity. I don't believe, I don't believe everything from Jonathan Edwards, but I, I believe his sensitivity to the Spirit and his longing for truth to cut out false doctrine this, this is really needed for the church right now in our day and age. Worship team, could you guys come on up?
I'm going to read my last verse here. This is uh, verse 8 through 9, and it says this. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. Do you know that? The law, the scriptures, the, the law of Moses even, it, it's good if used properly. It's not bad. We know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and for rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers. He begins to then list all these various sins. And the interesting thing is, I'll get to this next time I speak, these are all connected to the Ten Commandments. Like he actually lists commandment 5 through 10 in order. So there's no way this is not intentional based on the actions that he's seeing in the church. And he's saying, if you knew the law, you would know that these things are wrong. Like the law is actually good, but you need to apply the law properly. See, sometimes in the church, especially now, you see like, we kind of, the Old Testament's kind of like, like your stepsister, like, like, not stepsister, not that, but like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like something that is, um, like the New Testament is king and the Old Testament, ah, that's just old news, you know, like, and the reality is we need the Old Testament. It informs the new. Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm just going to throw out the Old Testament. Everything is new now. Look at me. He built his whole ministry. He fulfilled the law and the prophets through his life. And he understood and he, he knew the Old Testament way more than you and I know today. And so how important it is that we understand the law and we don't just toss it out. And here's why. The law exposes our need for God. The law lists 600 plus commandments that you and I can't possibly fill. But if we just say, ah, I don't want, I don't need the law. Like I just want God. I want his grace. If we go right to God's grace. We miss the sin that desperately destroys us and plagues us. I'm going to say it again. If we, if you even heard a gospel message and it was just all about the love of God and the grace of God, you didn't recognize the sin in your life. I don't think you're going to have a, I don't think you're going to have a long journey in Christ, to be honest. I think you're going to have a shallow faith. You're going to have a, bit, a brittle backbone because the truth is you were never taught what you were saved from. You didn't realize how corrupt and wicked sin really is. And that sin that's been put in the very core of every one of us. But when we recognize that and the word of God and the law speaks to the things that we should do, but that we cannot do because of sin. That's become many people's master. When we recognize that, boy, it, it allows us to actually receive his grace in a whole nother measure. Because <laughs> we know that we couldn't do it. We know that we've come up short. You can't fulfill the 600 plus commands. I'll tell you, I spent whole summers reading the Bible and feeling in, insane waves of conviction. And I thought that was useless. But in fact, if that drew me unto the Lord, to knowing his grace, that is valuable. That is precious because now I have no feet to stand on. I got to be humble knowing that it was Jesus' blood. It was his death on the cross. It was, it was his resurrection from the dead that has allowed me to conquer sin, that, that allows me to go and be with him. I want to put up this um, um, slide real quick related to what the law can do and what the law cannot do. The law can do two things. 
The law can show you your sin, and the law can reveal what's right and wrong. It can convict you, and it can reveal truth. But there's a lot of things the law can't do. But it's important because it leads us unto the one who can save us. So the law cannot give you the ability to obey it. You can know all the commandments. And some of you, maybe even from a child, you know all the things you were supposed to do. And I guarantee you, in the depths of your soul, you know that you haven't done what God's asked you to. You know you haven't met the mark. Because the law can't give you the power to obey, nor can it cleanse you of your sin. If there's any of you that are here today that have not trusted Jesus, haven't given your life to him, let me tell you, you cannot cleanse yourself. You cannot, you cannot overcome the sin in your life. You need a savior. You need one that would come and die on your behalf that you may live. You need Jesus. And today you need to give your life to him because if you do, you will find yourself now free from the law and now stepping into the grace of God. The grace of God, which has the ability to take away your sin, but not only that, has the ability to connect you to the living God all the days of your life. And it's the grace of God that has given us the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God that lives in us, that cries out, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God that regenerates us from the inside out. So you can't clean yourself from the outside in. Sin stained us. It stained us in such a way that you could take as many showers as you want, but that stain's not coming off. But when you go into God, when, when you receive Christ and what he's done for you, he washes you. He washes you clean of your sin, and he changes you from the inside out. So when conviction comes, when you read the law and you feel convicted, you turn to him. You say, my God, I can't, I can't fulfill this. But by your grace, by your blood, you have. By your death, I've been set free. But I'm going to encourage some of you. You're going to need to preach about sin. You're going to need it. Jonathan Edwards in the First Great Awakening, boy, they didn't hold back about sin. They, they were very open about its, its power to destroy. And so should we. Because the conviction of the Holy Spirit is going to come on this region like none other. And we can't be so quick to tell them about God's grace. Let them feel their need for Jesus. Even right now, everybody stand up for me, please. We need to feel our need this morning. We need to feel a desperation this morning because it's a reality. That desperation we experienced in the Philippines, that was a reality that here in the West sometimes gets covered up. We think all our needs are met. We have all everything we need. You've got nothing without Jesus. You need his mercy every single day. So everybody, if you close your eyes with me, Father God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that your word is true. I thank you, Father, that your blood cleanses. I thank you, Father, that you did what the law could not do. That while the law would condemn us, Lord, that your blood saves and restores us. God, I pray today, Father, we need the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. We need you to make us pure and white from the inside out, God. Even for those of us that have received you, that have called upon your name. God, we need you today to come and refine us, to conform us and shape us into the image of God. That we may be able to run the race for you. 
that we may be able to see the things that we're praying about. God, I just don't want to pray for revival. I want to steward it. God, I just don't want to believe that you'll pour out on some country or some people. I want to see it on my city. I want to see it on my people. I want to see it on my children. Lord, we're dependent on your Holy Spirit today. We can't do it on our own. Ministry team, if you guys could come to the front. We're going to just go back in, into worship. You can't do it on your own. Get desperate today. Get desperate today. You need a Savior, and you need the Spirit of God to transform you from the inside out. So if you want more of His Spirit, come to the front. We're going to start praying, and we're going to go back into worship. If you got to go, feel free to go. I know it's 1.30. Bless you. Have a great Sunday. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.